You're listening to episode 99 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Badri Naranyan. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, this is Mirban Iranshad from the Tennis Files Podcast, where we have interviews and solo episodes with the best experts and coaches in the world, as well as players to help you improve your tennis game. And today we have an interview for you with Badri Naranyan, and uh, he is a sports psychologist, consultant, and mental conditioning coach uh, for players on the ATP and WTA tours. And I'm going to get a bit more into his his, uh, bio in a minute, but uh, he's a great guest for the podcast because he has uh, a ton of experience in sports psychology and mental conditioning. And uh, it's going to be really cool to get his insights into using technology to help boost your mental game. Uh, Definitely a bit unique as far as what you've heard, whether it's on the online or live space. Um, So I think you'll get a real uh, benefit from listening to to this episode, and I hope you really enjoy it. So let's just jump in straight to the interview. And without further ado, here's my interview with Badri. Hey everyone, I'm Mirban Aranshad and we're here to talk about using technology to boost your mental game with Badri Naranan. And uh, Badri uh, has a fantastic and extensive background. Uh, he is a sports psychologist, consultant, and mental conditioning coach for numerous players on the ATP and WTA tours as well as the USDA circuit. Uh, Badri is also a certified neurolinguistic practitioner and uh, he specializes in using relaxation response and progressive relaxation methods to prime the body and mind to uh, the optimal state of performance, which is really cool. Uh, Badri has over 16 years of experience in sports psychology and mental conditioning, um, and he also works with other top-level athletes uh, other than tennis, including uh, Formula One and and cricketeers as well. Um, So Badri, it's really a pleasure to have you on, and I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So you guys are doing a great job, and I'm, I'm excited to be part of this. Thank you, Roger. Yeah, it really is great to have you on. And uh, you know, I'm really excited to talk with you about uh, the mental game and especially, you know, the really fascinating uh, technologies and innovative ways that you uh, use to help the athletes deal with this very critical facet of the sport. So uh, I actually want to just kind of ask you a question revolving around how you got interested in the mental game of tennis. Yes, uh, the journey started actually with a, with a loss in tennis, a tennis match, many, many years ago. But, you know, it's thanks for jogging my memory on that one. <laughs> but um, it was actually started off with a loss I had in, uh, in more in inter-college tennis back in the day when I was in India. Um, and it was like, you know, I was up a lead. I was ready to break some and serve. And then I was, I, was, I was actually serving for the match, if I'm right. And I lost the first couple of points. And then it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And then, well, I, I lost a match from that situation. I was supposed to be done in two sets. But that's kind of was like, it had nothing to do with my technical side or my fitness or anything. But it had more to do with how I was uh, processing closing a match, you know, and where I was just thinking so much about that external result and, okay, I'll be just done in that. And uh, that's when I kind of saw that, okay, what is this thing? It's not nothing to do with tennis. You know, and it's just more to do with how I'm processing an outcome. That got me crazy about this fast this field because then that's when I started reading books on the mental side of the game, and I thought it was a personality issue, but it's something that I had to work on my mental muscles. That's when I realized I started pursuing psychology in a in a very definitive fashion, and then I started uh, looked up for mentors. My mentors were somebody like Alan Fox and. Uh, people who are kind of uh, leaders in this industry. And then uh, Jim uh, Lore is another example. So I started reading their stuff and I was like, oh, this is something that could help me. 
And also I wanted to kind of see if, if I am going through this, I'm sure a lot of players are going through this challenge. It's something that I wanted to like get into deep because if you're not, that's when I realized if you don't work on your mental muscles, it doesn't matter if you have the talent and all that stuff, if you're not going to be mentally strong enough to win matches, then that's, that's something that we will want to work on. So that's, the, that's how I got into the uh, mental side of the game. And it's been an amazing journey. A lot of reflection, a lot of introspection. You know, it's kind of almost that the field shows you the mirror. And that's how I've been in it for just many years now. That's awesome. I really can tell, uh, you know, the passion that you have for the side of the game, which is fantastic. And so just to kind of like express and really stress like how important the mental side is to the player, uh, you know, all the players. Can you kind of tell us why this facet of the game is so important to our success on the court? Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, I mean, to quote a few players on this, like everybody can hit the tennis ball once you're on the tour. Everybody can hit the tennis ball. You are, you know, you, your forehands may be good, if not even better than the best. But um, the thought process that goes behind it, why you're playing the game, how much of it has got to do with your mental self-discipline part, right? And that is something that is, uh, is what makes the difference between the, the best and the good. Um, and, and I felt like, and I've seen every one of the, if I've done my research on every one of the top, 50 players in the over the last so many years the thing that separated them is just not just the talent alone um it's the it's the mental part that differentiates them from the from the rest you know how they play the pressure are they processing it and how a guy outside the top under processes it it's it's a big it's a big shift in that angle so i was like hmm that's interesting about how uh these guys are um you know it's not the skill it's not the physicality it's not how, you know, um, or like something, okay, I'm born with this talent. It's just that, it's just like this guy's playing so good in practice. He can play so well. What happens when I put him into a corner? Why is he struggling while the other guy is reveling in it, you know? So it kind of opened up very clearly that it's the, the, the amount of work that you would do on your physical muscles is the same that you would need to do on your mental muscles. And that's, that's something that um, initially I was thinking, uh, maybe, maybe not, but then, then I saw in every pressure moment, certain player would just do the same mistake again and again, while this guy would kind of say, okay, this guy, I'm going to pound him here because if I put him to a corner, then he's going to like struggle. And it's got, it's nothing to do again with the ball itself or the game itself. It's just like how I'm processing those moments. And I realized that the mental part is, is probably 70%, 80% the most important part of a player's uh, development. And I think that's kind of how it, how I uh, see it, and it's it holds true. If you look at the top guys, everybody says tennis is a mental game, you know, and uh, that's that's what my how it works. Yeah, yeah, that's a really great insight. Appreciate that, Barry. And so, you know, obviously this takes a lot of work into developing players, um, especially when they have these you know mental issues with the game. So, you know, let's say a player comes to you and says, "Hey, Badri, you know, like I'm having trouble." Uh, in matches, I don't think I can. I'm performing my best, and it's due to some sort of mental block. So, like for you, generally with these players, what's the first step that you take? Yeah, first uh, step obviously is like you know some people, but players might just come with like, okay, I lost this particular match. I should have won it. You know, just a pretty most of them. It's, it's a very reactive state when they begin, right? It comes after a loss. It comes after a tough loss, especially. Or if where you are, are in a situation where, you know, you're up and then you lost track, lost focus, or, you know, again, nothing to do with um, your game per se, but just that you are not there 100%. So, um, so when they come to me, the first thing is obviously, like, you know, obviously I let them kind of express what, what they're going through. Um, and obviously that way I get a feel because each player is different. Um, and once I am able to kind of process what they are going through, they could say start off with something like confidence or fear, but it could be a completely, it could be even a technical issue, maybe something that they didn't work on. You know, it's not like every everything is like a mental issue uh, and it could be something like, okay, my, my skills on the back end side may not be that great. So I could, that's why I'm failing. But even, but I want to help the player to get to that where he starts looking at himself as the mirror. Uh, so when they talk about all these things, I gather the information, look at what's causing them, obviously their frustrations and things like that. And then I provide them with a, I call it a, the MOM uh, checklist. It's like a mind or matter checklist. 
which has a bunch of questions about how they process different situations. They're mostly yes or no answers. Um, and then they, it takes about 15 minutes for them to like fill out. And then they send me that info. And then um, I start looking at areas of strengths, areas of weaknesses. And they, most of the time, the players are surprised that what they would think as a confidence issue, it's completely merely to something like a focus. Could be a concentration issue. But they might see it completely. And for them, they go, oh, this is an eye-opening thing. What I thought was the problem wasn't really the problem. The problem was something deeper, you know? And then I give them, like, uh, steps and methods to do. Obviously, I take a, a three-pronged approach. We kind of make sure that they first do these things in uh, in practice and at, in, even in their own, um, you know, in, in their own home, you know? And then uh, take it to the practice sport, start implementing these things so that they build confidence on that or whatever mental skills that I want them to work on. Uh, They're all in the form of drills, you know? And uh, once they do that and then they feel, okay, now the big pressure is going to be able to do that in matches. And that's the hardest part because you can do it in practice, you can do it or even agree to everything, but then to do it exactly in a match, which is a tough and a, because it's a paradigm shift for most of these players to be a guy who say, who has a, a focus issue might uh, all of a sudden, if I'm telling them, like, I want you to see the ball all the way for the next 20 minutes, it's a big shift for him because it's like, oh, you know, because he's like, okay, I can already hit a forehand or a backhand. Why are you making me do this? Because then once they start going through and I like, create, simulate, uh, simulate uh, pressure-like situations for them, and they, gonna hate, they typically hate me in that process because <laughs> um, and, and, it's, and, and then I'm like, okay, then you're on track <laughs> because that's when they are the most uncomfortable. If they're not going to, if they don't go through these uh, drills where they're not uncomfortable, then obviously going into the match is that sets their preparation, right? If they didn't work on this part, it's going to come back, you know, it's like karma. It's going to come back again and again, teaching you the same lesson. And, and once the players go through and it takes about two, three weeks to constantly put them in pressure-like moments and see how they respond. And once they feel like, okay, 80, even if, I, if they get to 80% of what they are capable of, going into the match, they feel, ah, I worked on this. It's the exact situation we talked about. So even though I hated it at the point, you know? So that's kind of how they go through this, uh, this journey. And, and we, it takes about two, three months. I mean, roughly about three to six months for uh, a mental skill to be completely ingrained in your system. But, it's that once we identify what needs to be done, it's constant repeat, repeat, repeat till it becomes second nature. Great stuff, Bader. Appreciate that insight again. And so, you know, a couple of follow-up questions. First off, you named a couple different types of issues that players have, but could, could you maybe try to attempt to quali- or um, categorize like the types of mental, I don't want to say problems, mental related like issues that players have when they come to you, the most common ones? Uh, the most common ones is like um, dealing with losses, you know, obviously dealing with tough losses, you know, mm. um, or they work on uh, a technical aspect of the game for the last so many months and then they go and they work on it, but then they're scared to death to apply it in a match. Mm. Say, for example, if you're in, in tennis, you work on, you know, developing a topspin backhand or something like that. Then when you go there uh, and, and then you start slicing, <laughs> you know, because you are like, afraid to do it and then this and then as a result they end up losing it's like it's like i know exactly what i need to do but i'm not doing so that um because again it's the, the biggest challenge is like not even entering the uh, unknown territory i think it's for them even if they're backhand from so many years as in wasn't uh, helping them win it's just letting go of that old state that they were in and moving on to this new state is, is the toughest part for them. It's letting go of the past. That's kind of the number one problem, you know? Um, and the, next, the others are predominantly a lot of uh, personal issues related to, you know, things outside of tennis and how much that plays a role uh, in their performance, you know? And there are so many players who go through, you know, a lot of crap like that. But, you know, these are the, the main two things. Obviously, and there's, there's the other proactive ones who come in and want to take their mental game to the next level, you know? So these three categories are the ones that I... I deal with typically deal with, uh, most of the guys handling tough losses, breaking uh, old habits, and then the personal issues that players tend to have, and you know, and and which affects their game obviously when they're out there, 
and uh, every time they lose, it just becomes extrapolated, you know. And for them to get back into being motivated to perform again, it's those are the challenges. You know? Gotcha, great stuff, uh, Barry. And so, you know, obviously with these classific- classifications, do the drills that you have them do, maybe you know, let's say like at home and then on the court, do they vary like a lot, like uh, depending on what problems they have? Yeah, I mean, obviously, each like it's like uh, it's like uh, you know, it's the five fingers. Each each one is a unique thumbprint, right? They're not the same. So what works for one player will not work for the other. So that's where the mind over matter checklist comes in as a big, because that's when I get to see what this guy is going through. I do see videos of his performance, performances and where they struggle. And so the drills are simulated in such a way to recreate such moments for them. Mm-hmm. And it's not, again, in practice, it's never going to be the same because you're not going to have that crazy crowds and stuff like that. But the pressure is still the same. The more, for example, if I find a guy who plays well until a 30 all sort of situation mm-hmm. and then gets into, oh, 30 all, I better get these next two points. What is happening out there? It's the same. It's, a, it's like they're not processing the score. They're going, going by what is actually happening out there. Okay, I better win these next two points and see how I, if I can succeed. But uh, reality at that moment is like, it's still 30 all. I want them to process it neutrally, you know, and not think about, okay, what's going to happen in the next couple of points. So when we simulate, we put the same situation to them again and again and see how they process that. And they would hate it. They would obviously sometimes uh, struggle because they know that this is what happens to them in matches. But more and more, once they start, once I focus, have them focus, do, do these drills and have them, uh, the conscious mind, we call it, focus on uh, the key things that they need to be doing to play their best. So that, in other words, be able to eliminate the score uh, out of their mind and focus on what they need to do for that particular point. And, uh, and, they, and each player is different. Some guys will be just serve. Some people will be uh, more on the return of serve. Some could be just about, uh, you know, coming forward and not knowing what to do, you know. And uh, it's all these, it's a combination of the technical part and also the, the mental side about how uh, they need to respond in such moments. And if I get, I mean, that's the heavy dosage of that because that's when they feel confident, okay, that I worked on everything possible. So whatever gets thrown at me, I'm ready to take on, you know. And that's, that's why it's a journey of where the player will end up hitting me for sure. There's no doubt. But it's, it's, that's the thing. That, but they know what they are doing because they know that uh, they have immense trust in me to the fact that, okay, I'm making them do this. I'm making them uncomfortable. But it's for the higher good. And so, and that's always... Um, and I make that very clear to the player. If I'm not making you uncomfortable or, uh, then I'm not doing my job or you are not doing yours, you know? So and that's, that's how it works. All these drills are custom. Each one is different. You know, the problems are pretty similar, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, it's just what drill will work for a certain player is based on their analysis, their biofeedback responses and stuff. like that. Gotcha. Great stuff again, Barry. And so, you mentioned that, you know, you have drills for players, you know, both at home and also on the court. So let's say, you know, the, the scenario you, you mentioned about, you know, a player when he gets a 30 all and he just he doesn't play well, the mental pro- block somewhere there. Can you give mm-hmm. us maybe an example of like one drill that you might have this type of player do at home um, to help them with that? Yeah, I mean, it's firstly, it's, uh, you know, it's we call it active visualization, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they start seeing, um, normally I would ha- they would see their videos and see that, okay, I was perfect until 30 low, and then 30-15 I got into some pressure, 30 all I became a little bit more tired, and then I'm, start- I'm not even thinking about getting the serve, and my mind is already thinking about the end of the game, or like, you know, I hope I just escape, you know, there's just that. So they're not, at that moment, it's just their thoughts are running them ragged, you know? So we create like, okay, this is a situation where you are still, thinking about the right things. What are those things? Say you're serving, um, you are going to be like, again, going through certain rituals, making sure that you are, when you're truly hitting the serve, there is no backlog of the score or what is happening in the, in the, you know, before. And then, um, you know, kind of be able to like focus on the right things. Here we call it, I call it, uh, you know, the mental principles. I have them um, focus on, you know, like uh, their ball toss, uh, their, uh, what, what is their target? Um, about their breathing, what happens to their breathing in that stage? Uh, 
uh, what are they thinking about how they can kind of nullify the situation. You have 25 seconds between every, every cell anyways, right? So that 25 seconds is about exhaling, inhaling, and then also a lot of what they need to look at target-wise. Um, and uh, focusing on just kind of visualizing yourself hitting a good cell and a quality cell, hitting the way you want to. That's kind of, that needs to first come in as part of their process, right? And then till it becomes second nature. And then I put them uh, going into the practice drill, first just normally serving. And then I add the pressure element and see if they are doing the rituals exactly the same way and not change or rush. So I have them get hooked on some couple of, you know, we do some biofeedback devices where I am monitoring, okay, your heart rate is going freaking high here. So you need to make sure that you are playing and you're, uh, you're regulating your heart rate at that moment and focus and playing that short from stillness, I would call it. And, um, and see if he can do that. It's very uncomfortable because they're like, oh my gosh, it's the same, it's the same ball. All of a sudden, I was at 120, uh, and now I'm at 160. What is, what is different? So I said, okay, let's bring it back. Your optimal is at 115 or 120. Let's get it back there. What are the things you can do? Okay, breathe, relax, you know, do, your, you know, do some progressive tightening and release exercises. Make sure, all this is 25 seconds, right? You can do that. So making sure that you are still doing the routines the exact same way. And uh, initially it feels like uh, they feel like they want to rush it in. And then I say, okay, when every time you rush, your biofeedback shoots up and I want you to kind of maintain this. That's the hardest part for them because then um, even visualization, they're like, okay, I did the visual part. I'm looking good to do it. In, I said, if you want to do, if you're struggling for this in practice, imagine what's going to happen once you're in a real match. So we got to do it to, we do a heavy overdose of that to the point where that one hour drill session feels like 10 mm-hmm. <laughs> for them. But then that's when they know like, okay, it's drilled so many, so much inside about what they are, what's the self-talk going to be, how they're going to like process that situation and repeat, repeat and rinse till then I see them in the match, see how they do that. And nine or 10 times they handle such moments um, effectively. So it is basically, you know, things like breathing, things about observing the ball, um, things like, um, you know, having a relaxed grip, you know, just observing your target, knowing, just have that quiet sense of confidence about yourself. And sort of, it's a deliberate sort of approach, like, a, like how a, a top player acts. So they mimic such motions, making sure that they're doing it, you know. It's, I know this is, to, to consolidate this as one answer, it's, it's very difficult, but that's kind of what they... Uh, go through, you know, to uh, succeed at that level. That's awesome stuff, buddy. And obviously, you know, it's uh, really cool with the te- all the technology that you're using. And you did mention uh, biofeedback. So I guess maybe to delve into that a little bit more, like what kind of, you know, firstly, what type of device, if you could describe that, and then also like what senses, I know you mentioned heart rate, but what other senses does it possibly? Yeah, I mean, uh, there, are, there are there are multiple different different tools, you know, and again, it, the first step obviously comes down like, you know, the content is the key. The device is almost a secondary thing to ensure that you are doing it. Because if there are a lot of players I've known where they just hook on the device and, you know, try to get into it. But reality is like they haven't done the groundwork. You know, if I work two or three times, but unless the, the first mental conditioning part of thing where they get ensured, okay, these are things that I got to do no matter what. And then, then the device is of immense help. But if you skip the first part, identifying what the mental issues are, and then you expect, like, okay, I'm going to be performing like magic out there, that's not going to happen. That you, you could do it one or two times, it's a new thing, and then things happen, but then it's going to go away because foundationally you are not ready. You know? <clears throat> so once I get through the assessment, I see that you're uh, the best performance, you're at, at 120 is when I see you optimally doing your things. At 160, you are entering that super stress state. 180 is like you're gone, you know? So we, uh, the device is kind of like, it's, we, when he's hooked on, I say, okay, uh, his forehand holds up pretty good until 30 all. Then after 30 all, it doesn't. What's happening at that stage? If, if I'm hooking the person, it's a very controlled environment. Like when I do this, it's, it's going to be like I'm right. So it's it, because these are Bluetooth devices, right? So I can do it right then and there, you know? So I can observe like, Okay, we create because he's going to be 
playing a practice set or something. And it's a 30 all scenario. The guy hits to his forehand. He starts shaking a little bit. And I say, oh, there it is. That's where you need to relax. So basically, he does a progressive sort of tightening and relaxing, tightening and relaxing at that mm-hmm. moment. And then see, and then I say, again, do it again, do it again. So this device acts as a sort of like an alarm clock more, you know, like, okay, there you reached your pinnacle. So here is the part that we, we you need to kind of regulate yourself and hit it the way you want it to, you know? So that, that's where the device comes in and tells, okay, the feedback is more like, okay, if I do this, then, okay, I need to relax. I, and almost like it for, if I were to just tell him without hooking him up on a device, he might say I was loose and everything. But the moment he knows that I am also I'm connected and I'm seeing what his, uh, his uh, heart rate function, how it looks and all that, then I'm able to kind of like say, hey, there's, you're struggling. You can't lie to me. You can't lie to the device. Mm-hmm. You know, you can lie to me, but you cannot lie to the device. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And so that's the part that he gets to, okay, I got to relax my arm more. Maybe I'm arming it. Maybe I'm tightening myself too much. And, um, and the more and more they learn to kind of become loose, let go and relax. Um, that's when I see that, okay, the device gives me like a, a sequence of, okay, how tight he was here, how, Lucy was here, you know, just kind of like a, like a sort of like a continuous graphical report. And then I can say, when you swung free, what were you thinking here when you're not swinging free? So that gives him like, ah, you know, because if it's proven scientifically, the player becomes more, okay, I need to make sure that I relax here. So then it's like, it's, it's almost like, a, uh, you know, you can, it's like, you cannot lie to a doctor or attorney. So the device acts as a, as a doctor right there, you know, and then uh, he feels more answerable to it. Than else. Hmm. So 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 there are a lot of devices, biofeedback uh, devices out there. There's also where I'm hooked on. It's each one is like we have our own custom device that we do to kind of make sure that they are in sync with, uh, the results are in sync with what I'm looking for. And then there's also, you know, a lot of breath uh, you know, ensuring that your breath is constant and you're not stressed throughout the day. Some things the players tend to carry with them all the time so that they, they know that when, they, when they're losing their center, it's like a, it buzzes and reminds them to kind of take some deep breaths and stuff. It's a constant right throughout the day thing. And um, the players who are serious about it take that very, you know, it's not like, you know, they, they say, because I know that they're all connected to our system. So we can say that you have two hours completely hyperventilating or whatever, and your breath was like this. So what was happening during that time? It gets, so I'm able to constantly monitor that, even if I'm sometimes not there at some of these events. You know? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Good stuff, Roger. And so one specific question, actually, one what was something you mentioned was that you said that if you notice that, uh, you know, a player at 30 all is like shaking or something, they're nervous. You, you talked about like a tightening and relaxing. And I've heard that technique before. And so in general, does that type of, you know, tightening a lot and then loosening that's it that is that like a proven technique to help people just relax their body? Yeah, again, it, it all comes down to do where, to be like it's like if you directly go into a match and then do that it's not going to work because again the the work the, the process starts uh even when in a relaxed home environment where you're just like starting to think some say negative thoughts and then you're becoming tight inside then you're working on doing all the progressive relaxation taking some top from the head to the bottom and then making sure that you are relaxing every part of the body that's in a non-pressure like situation if you if you're if you're feeling tight up there obviously there's a lot of work to do then once in practice, when they go through these moments, again, we create scores and situations like that where, okay, I tell them, okay, this is time where you need to kind of loosen up, relax, whichever part of the body is tight, to find a way to relax that and let it release. And that is, again, constant, constant practice. And then if, if I become um, you know, comfortable and I start doing those right things, then in the matches, it's it's not going to right away show up and start working, but 
he would know that, okay, that he would be getting it, doing it consistently. And after a certain point, it becomes second nature to him. So it, it's a three, like I said, all these, all the solutions that are given to the players are always a three-step process. It's never like directly a match. It's, it starts from home, practice, and the match. And they go, they go through a stringent like that. And, uh, it's, and it's proven. I mean, obviously, you know, progressive relaxation is, is one of the most, um, we call it, again, PMR. Uh, it's one of the most proven techniques out there. It's been there for so many years. And uh, it's right across, not just tennis, in any sport. And so that makes a huge uh, difference. And but again, it's the you know if you can't do it in practice, or even if you try to do it, it won't work. <laughs> so it's important that you it becomes completely second nature. Gotcha, battery. And so as far as um, you know, frequency. I'm just wondering, is there any point where like too much of uh, like training your mental toughness? Um, like is diminishing returns or can even like, you know, mess you up or anything. Like, I'm just wondering like your students today, are they doing this like every single day for, you know, several hours or, you know, like what's the kind of the acceptable range if there is any. Like on, on a daily basis. you mean? So Yeah. Like, like it's all comes down to uh, the first part is always, there's always going to be a heavy dosage of all these, you know, because there's so much past, so much of what's happened in the, you know, in the past for them. And they, they've come, obviously, they, because they are tired of losing from, you know, situations like that, where it's, it's a completely a mental issue. So they are ready to do whatever it takes, you know. So there's always going to be a heavy dosage of that in the beginning, so where they do it twice a day or three times a day, whenever they have that time also to kind of find losing and tightening exercises and stuff like that, or even self-talk. But, um, I mean, because initially they're just words, right? Words or just trying to tighten and release and things like that, and uh, affirmations, all these things. Um, they do it uh, pretty intensely to begin with. Then once that uh, it's starting to become, it typically takes two, three weeks to so become sort of part of the system, like meditation or anything, right? And after that, it's like once um, again, the key is to like how much of it gets translated into performance uh, on court, in practice, and on enduring matches sometimes it will be great for the first two rounds and okay i reach the quarters and then i start having a different kinds of tension like if i'm doing this i better now i have no excuses you know i'm working on my mental muscles so i have no excuse now to like uh you know run away from this situation so each one like every uh as they progress they're going to get thrown at different challenges okay you can do this in the first two rounds or what if you're playing roger now <laughs> can you still be in that state you know uh, so it's, but again, that's a sign of progress from where they were, you know, to do this. And then like initially it's always like the first 21 days are super key where they are like heavy on it. And then after that, uh, uh once I see that they're comfortable in the matches and once they start doing it, become second nature, then they know when they need to turn it up and turn it off, you know, but, um, typically in the start, it's, it's, it's a no break kind of situation and they go through it straight up, you know, even two, three hours a day. Gotcha, Badri. And so you mentioned um, affirmations, obviously. So I wonder if you have any, so any tips on the affirmations or, you know, are there bad affirmations? Like, if, you know, like, don't screw up, don't screw up, or, you know, like something like that. Like, what are, what are some good ones and what are some mistakes? <laughs> yeah, like I said, affirmations are like, you know, like don't think of a pink elephant kind of thing is always not going to work, right? Mm. So it's uh, affirmations are always going to be uh, what you want to see. And I try to make it in as much as present tense as possible, because I don't want to say I will be able to do this. Not that, because it's again, putting a future tense. So the brain does not know where you are. Right? It's basically, we want to um, have them say these affirmations in a, uh, as if they are already part of them. You know, that's the hardest part for players because sometimes when they say this, Dude, I'm truly not like this right now. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's a reality check. But the whole idea is to, um, all the positive affirmation that they're telling themselves is to be like, okay, this is what I want to be, but I want to make it as part of me. So it's kind of like how Muhammad Ali used to be like saying, okay, I'm the greatest, even before he was not even close at that stage. But, and which later translated into work and, you know, results. So we want to make sure that, you know, make, not fake it before you make it is, is definitely a 
want to use and then ensure that you're seeing all these positive affirmations right from the uh, and it's it's never going to be negative like if i see okay i always double fold when in a big moment you know i always go for it in this in these moments you know everything that they are seeing as negative results we try to make it uh in such a way that he's affirming it in a very positive manner and uh and it's again a proven methodology because once that they do it uh, again consistently make it part of their second nature then uh in most nine or ten times in matches they are uh, able to translate that into action and, and i think it's just because once the affirmations become part of you like an ingrained part of you then you start you are a different player out there you know? yeah for sure body and so you also did mention uh, meditation uh, a little bit earlier just curious you know you know your thoughts on you know meditation like how it could possibly help i mean i actually completed like uh, 60 some days like uh in a row of meditation um, and then unfortunately the summit just like really messed me up, <laughs> but, um, but he said, I've got to start another streak, but you know, anyways, how, how, you know, how helpful can that be for us? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a no brainer. Like meditation is just like an integral part. It just gives you, um, so many benefits, not just on in tennis, but just even off court stuff. Right. It's just, um, there's so many, um, softwares and so many, um, you know, apps nowadays that, that can help in, you know, finding some 20 minutes for you, you know? And so most of the players of our mind work twice a day, 20 minutes a day, in the, 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes before they hit the sack. Um, and meditation is huge because it gives them that clarity of mind. Uh, it takes, uh, if done right, it's almost takes out the whole judgment part of themselves out of them and they are able to be more in peace with themselves, uh, which solves 90% of the problems, right? Because then, uh, then it's, and also it, it makes them, you know, I mean, non-reactive to situations and do, uh, you know, what the right thing is in those moments. Helps them in great situational awareness. I mean, you name it. Um, and again, you are quieting your mind, you're fighting your thinking process. It's just, it's just uh, an amazing thing for us, you know. So, and different methods, you know, you have the Zen meditation, you have the transcendental, you have apps like Headspace and you'll sit up there, which kind of help you in, um, you know, uh, even custom for sport, custom for, you know, uh, your uh, just personality development. There's so many areas. But again, the common concept is, in meditation, obviously, is quieting your mind, getting in tune with yourself. And the more and more you do that, the more and more better you become, the more you become detached from circumstances and not become a puppet to situations. It's just, you name it. I mean, they're just, the more you meditate, obviously, it's going to uh, help. And obviously, since I come into the performance psychology of things, about what they want how I want them to perform on court, um, I use a very me- meditation-specific true performance, you know, and motivation, self-esteem, you name it, you know. These are things that I have our athletes work on, and they feel good if it's to what they want. If they want to work on confidence part, what is the meditation technique for that? What are things that you can do? And all, you know, which includes affirmations, which includes getting in that zone state, and then, you know, and it's custom for every attribute. So there's so many things available like that now. And, and it's, it's like, you know, sometimes it's, we have too many choices, you know, that can be a problem. But uh, I just think it's, it's, uh, it's one of the most important things uh, as part of our you know, mental conditioning training. Great, so Badri. Yeah, I can't, admire, uh, I can't agree more with that uh, statement. And so I'm just wondering, you know, as far as like, meditation like the duration i know that everyone's different but you know obviously there's people who at least say that they're busy and then um you know like obviously like maybe like 30 seconds of meditation maybe that's not enough you know so like is there like a a bare minimum where you know we can still get like 80 percent of the benefits and then only if by just meditating like five minutes or 10 minutes like is there you know something like that for us i mean like obviously like i said i always believe in um uh, an initial overdosage because it's always easy mm. to come back to the smaller side after that. Um, for me, uh, I always like be it transcendental meditation or, you know, there are different forms. Um, 20 minutes is, is ideal because you do, I mean, because in that 20 minute duration, the first five minutes is just very distractive, but, you know, thoughts mm. are going to come and play, you know, crazy and you would want to get out and give you itches and want you to leave and all that stuff. As like, you don't succumb to that temptation at that stage. And then, you enter in the eighth, between the eighth and the twelfth minute, 
is when you are you enter that prime state, and then after that, it's just kind of winds down. But that four minute thing is what where there is you would experience complete um, absence of thought, where the possibilities are amazing. So that duration it starts increasing as and when you do it on a daily. I'm sure, like if you're saying that you're doing it for sixty days. You know, you have the initial struggle and everything, but then once you go past the 20 day, it's almost like something that you cannot live without. You know, you're like, I got to do this. You know, it's like your time for yourself. And that's the beauty of it because basically you're trying to spend time in nothingness. You know, you know if you're married, it's a different thing. Like it, I wish you were cleaning the, cleaning the you know, or doing stuff housewives and you say, okay, I'm going <laughs> to time for myself. But it's just such an immense benefit uh, to uh do it for uh, to start of the day for 20 minutes with that and wind up for 20 minutes you know before you hit the sack so that way you wake up more refreshed less interference and less worries it's just immense you know i would say 20 minutes uh twice a day great even if you get 20 minutes a day it's perfect beautiful stuff and so Vadri, you know when we were uh chatting uh probably a month and a half ago or so on the phone you mentioned you know a technology and i I'm guessing this might be priming, but I'm not sure. But where, you know, you'd have like a device on a player's maybe head and then it would be able to activate like certain parts of their brain to help them mm-hmm. mentally. So could you kind of talk about what that yeah. is and how you use that with your players? Yeah, it's a uh, newer priming. You know, it's, mm-hmm. some, it's, it's, a, it's a new phenomenon. There's been a lot of um, research going on even in, in Utah um, over many past few years. And which basically... Um, you are learning, say, for example, you're learning new habits, say your weight training, or it could be even skills. Um, what we, you know, when you're learning, the, the hard way has always been like where you uh, start learning, a, say you're learning a forehand or something, right? We have a more aggressive, and then you are, if, if you've always been a guy who's got a tentative or weak forehand, and then you're starting to work on it. When you start working on it, you obviously are, um, you know, it's for it to become muscle memory. It's like you go two steps forward, ten steps backward. It's that, and there's a for many um, priming. What has helped? I've seen is like um, is when uh, it's again what uh, it's the frontal cortex. What are the muscles that are getting activated when you're in the learning stage? It's like driving, right? In the beginning, you're careful about a hundred different things, and then you would make mistakes and all that, and then sometimes you get frustrated. Sometimes you don't want to touch. You know, you go through this zigzag sort of report of yours. Um, but then with priming, what we have found is like once the you know it's 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 a big responsibility when doing priming is because you got to give the visual of the right technique, how it needs to look, the entire visual, and even what you're talking to yourself, and all these things have to be at the highest sort of level, you know. And then and then the device is of immense help because it helps you wire in such a way that I could hit 100 forehands exactly the same way I've taught, you know, been telling myself, even if I'm just in the learning stage. But then, so part of if that becoming second nature is huge um, it, because the learning rate is faster. Because the moment I do the forehand, this is the, the new technique that I'm using. It's almost like the brain is able to, um, you know, almost like a short circuit, whatever was there in the past. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it applies to just not just your, your tennis, but also to weight training. You know, if you're a guy who's working on, you know, lifting and all that stuff, then there are certain techniques you use and you want to make sure that you are using the right technique every time. And it's also kind of a reverse psychology because then once they have this and they know that it's almost like to a coach, they can say, yeah, I did it the right way. I wouldn't know. Or you could be inside your head yelling at me. <laughs> but you're still doing it, you know? And here it's like, it's almost like I can see that the, the, it's, it's translated into a portrait. I see that, okay, this is your highest performance here. There, it was just stale. You were you're kind of doing it, but not really. So it's just like, the again, the device gives me an accurate uh, picture about how you're truly performing, you know? And, he, and the player knows it. So he makes sure that he's doing all the right things so that he gets a, a good report at the end of it. And so it, it's more of, um, as long as the technique, as long as what we're trying to do is right and we know this is how it should be, then the uh, your planning works like magic because then it's, it's like, um, it short, because it short circuits the whole bad habits, you know, see so like 20 minutes, 30 minutes at it, you prime for about 20, 25 minutes and then that technique, so, and then if you go and play, 
it's it'll help you for at least an hour for sure. And then if if it's one, if something like that is going to help you for an hour, that's more than enough in that match, you know. <coughs> because after that, it's all muscle memory. So in other words, it uh, priming is proven to help in creating states that you want to be at, make it as present as possible, and also the reversal to negative or bad habits is very less. You know, that's kind of it's it's a lot of trial and error, but it's 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 a it's a new thing for the last few years, and it's uh, it's been. Uh, I mean, I've seen tremendous success, and it, it applies to not just any. It can be even to mental states. That I want to show more energy. What are the things I need to say? What I tell you, tell myself inside, and all the minute, twenty five minute frame. Then um, it stays. At least that's what I've seen. Super cool, Badri. And so these um, technologies and devices, like, would you say that they're, you know, that like an average Joe like myself could like afford one, would you say? You're not average, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well, yeah, that was this stuff. But I guess, you know, like the general, like average population, like, do you think that's like those devices, like they could buy those and then use on their own, like they would be able to afford it? Or is it like, you know, thousands of dollars and yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, like, you know, obviously everything's got a marketing scope, like, and you buy stuff on that. And then, you know, again, you, if you're not having the right expert by you in terms of training and all that, you could mess it up. You could do something really crazy and then not know what to do about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's important to, um, like anything, like it's like, it's like weightlifting. You can go and lift and then you could screw yourself and have it or have a personal trainer who helps you make sure that you have the right technique and stuff like that. And that's, that's how these are. These are, again, in, especially in mental conditioning, is like once that content, the initial part, we analyze and we know that this is what you need to do. And after that, all these devices are of immense help because you got the, the, the hardest part right. You know, the hardest part is like, okay, this is what I got to work on. And, this is, and these devices are going to help me to kind of make me do the work and maybe able to do it for a longer duration, you know? And uh, because many a time they think, oh, this is going to help me and improve my effort by 50%. And that's how the people are going to market it, right? And they're like, and then they start doing it, not knowing whether they're doing it right. Or, and then they say, oh, this doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just that <laughs> they need to make sure that, um, you know, you can't, I mean, nothing is going to stop you from buying these things, but you got to have the right person with you. Because then, because it's, these are, again, um, you if it's if you are in first grade and trying to use something in template, it's just not you're going to be like uh, yeah. So I would say yeah, nothing wrong. But then have an expert with you is that's that's key. Yeah, yeah, definitely with these types of devices, you could. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a little risky, <laughs> but um, you know, more general question for you, Badri, uh, regarding the mental game, like what's one big myth that you see either perpetuated or, you know, like the people believe um, about the mental side of tennis that you want to just kind of highlight for us? Like uh, what, what, could you repeat that? Like, sure. I lost you for a bit. Oh, no worries. Again? Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. It's just basically what is one, you know, myth about the mental side of tennis that you kind of see, you know, players believe or it being taught. Um, that you want to maybe kind of dispel that myth for us? Yeah, it's um, some, many often we hear like, you know, like, you know, some are just uh, born great, you know, and that's the common thing because, you know, the, in the players when they are in the circuit and they're playing and they see some exceptionally talented players, you look at Roger or Rafa out there and then oh, I mean, these guys are born great, sort of, you know, everybody's gone through a journey and everything and then they look at the finished product. So, and, uh, and they exhibit mental toughness in all big moments. So, again, it's something they're all worked on. It's not something natural. But because it's, it's, nobody gets to see what they do on the mental side of the game. So, it, we are always guessing, right? So, so, the myth is like, okay, I know my son cannot be a Roger. Like, why would, he doesn't have to be a Roger or a Rafa. He has, he has to be the best version of himself. But there is that, uh, the myth is like, okay, you know, it's just like a paradigm, like, He's born that way. I'm like this, you know. I've been like this all my life, so I don't think this. I can. This is. This is going to help me because the, the biggest fear for them, like I said earlier, is letting go of the known, and that's where the challenge begins. It's like uh, you, even though you've been losing, doing some, you know, repeated sort 
And the moment you're trying to change and attack that problem, you're, you're going to be even more uncomfortable than before. But this uncom- discomfort is better because you are trying to uh, address a bigger, deeper problem, right? And so it's going to make you uncomfortable. So many, some players don't want to go through that discomfort. And they might think, is it all going to be worth it? I'm already struggling. You, you want me to struggle more? This is with my personality, you know? So that, the biggest thing is like personality. When they, when they define their personality to be a certain way, that's when, uh, you know, they're closing themselves. And so, but once they go through a few sessions and they start, then they start like, this is really not that bad, you know, because then they start attacking it. Um, so, the, yeah, the biggest thing is like, nobody's born mentally tough, you know. Um, if the great book to read is something like The Talent Code or something, you know, which where it talks about how talent is developed and all that, you know. But it's something that, it's, it's so true that, it's okay. It's like, okay. It's like typecasting players from different parts of the world. Okay, these guys are like this. These players are like that, you know, but at the end of it, the mental muscles are the same. You might struggle more. Some might not struggle that much, but it's something that uh, you definitely can become the best version of yourself. You know, if you decide to work on it. So biggest myth has been always about personality and uh, they try to tie certain weaknesses in big moments to uh, a personality kind of I've been always this way so and and we are always there to break that myth you know <laughs> but it, it'll be painful in the beginning but then eventually we get it gotcha gotcha Badrin. yeah that's great that you mentioned uh, yeah talent code because actually my next question for you uh, I guess you'd basically expound upon what you mentioned which is like you know what are some of your favorite books and and resources to to help us with uh, the mental side of tennis and maybe if there's a tennis specific you know book as well. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously uh, Timothy Galvey's Inner Game of Tennis is probably one of the best. I mean, like top notch stuff, you know, and that's come from the seventies. It's amazing. It's one of the top bestsellers even today. But it it's so relevant even now. If you look at it, you're like, oh gosh, there's so many players who, who may not are still not winning that inner game so that's definitely one of the things i would books i would recommend um there's um there's also you know 10 minute mental toughness you know things like which address specifically to certain things and uh, again to your mentality and all that um and it's and also um a, uh, you know that's those are my then pressure is a privilege by billy jean uh the books that i've read and then anything on rod labors stuff that he come out, came up with. Uh, so his, that was one of my favorite books uh, to read. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of stuff out there. You know. And then uh, Winning the Mental Game. Then, of course, uh, Alan Fox, uh, The Mental Aspect of the Sport. And we also have Jim Lohr. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's an entire section. There's about 100 books out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, anything. This is in such an important, unfortunately, also the neglected part of the, uh, sport. So I think the more and more exposure it gets, the better it is. Yeah, for sure. And that's why, uh, you know, we're grateful for people like you doing great work in this area. And so obviously I want to educate the audience, you know, um, more about what types of things you're doing. Uh, Badri, obviously we know we, we described, you know, your great background in the beginning of, of this session, but can you kind of talk to us about what you have, you know, been working on or been up to lately? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, priming, neuropriming has been one of the, the, you know, the biggest things that we have, you know, taking it to the next level. With all this. Um, there's also, um, you know, who's, who's one of, a very good friend of mine. Um, and he's come up with a, with a tensity, uh, software, which is basically, again, tracking, building your long-term game, you know? Um, so these are using, uh, technology for tracking performances, metrics for players, not just on, on every aspect, not just skills, uh, results, just statistically. So we're trying to connect uh, a lot of those dots with using um, intensity and also um, using, you know, different uh, neural priming methods. Um, and that's been our the biggest thing in the last eight or nine months. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's the players are super receptive to it, um, which I've been I'm excited about that. And they are also, again, this, very, I feel them being very answerable to technology because it's like it's like it's like a Hawkeye. You cannot fight the Hawkeye. Like you're like okay, call it a fault. I might disagree, but I cannot do anything about it. 
But it's just that that is what I see as some of the next uh, evolution in this. And so I've been um, doing a lot on on priming and then um, integrating almost like uh, tensity into the system and having the players also look at it from a, um, like a progress tracking software, but at the same time, um, kind of, you know, integrating the mental, technical and all that in one, in one shop, you know, and because no, none can exist without the other. So it's, that's the thing that I've been doing off late a lot. And then, you know, also research and building archetypes for, uh, for players as to like, you know, if, if a guy is a grinder, we try to use, okay, let's look at David Ferrer, how we can have him as you are. Different sort of archetypes um, for players to kind of, um, in almost like, like it's not, they're trying to channelize a particular player's quality in them, you know, and I see priming as immense help in something like that. And, and they arrange, it's almost like you're playing an act, okay, I want you to uh, enact a top player. And they start doing all these funny weird things mm-hmm. But then they're like, wow, this stuff, I'm, I'm like, I'm super, uh, they, and all of a sudden they are free of inhibitions. And you're like, hmm, how did that happen? You know? <laughs> he would say that I'm a terrible wallier, and then he starts walling like a top professional. And then you're like, hmm, that's how did you suddenly become somebody? And then they want to go back to the old self because they feel like, dude, I just expanded and conquered my limitations there. <laughs> but in reality, it's, it's more they get to see, okay, there's a range to you. So I think a lot, working a lot on, and it's not like the amazing Spider-Man thing, but it's just more, um, you know, creating archetypes for players and then integrating priming and density into the whole process. So it's, it's been interesting. Very interesting stuff. And it's, sorry about it. Who did you say that you were working with on, on that stuff? Uh, like, uh, I mean, Hush Monkin is a good friend of mine. Okay. He, who introduced, uh, you know, he's, he's come up with a software called Tensity, and that is more kind of like tracking progress and tra- you know, it's like, like a metric measuring tool. And, um, you know, we're trying to slowly get that um, integrated with the players and all that stuff. So those are things that uh, are having beneficial for the players. Very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. And, and, and also, Badri, um, what is a good place for people to maybe connect with you or, or contact you, you know, whether it's, um, you know, online or in person. Yeah, I can, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll share that information obviously with you and then you can put it out there. Um, there's obviously the Facebook battery page. Then there's also the, uh, the social tennis page. And then mm-hmm. on that. Um, I can share some links and send it your way also. You know? And uh, of course, to, you know, it's just a, just, Give me 48 hours to respond <laughs> because that's, 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 that's the hardest part, you know? And yeah. Yeah. So anyways, but other than that, yeah, I can share some information. Cool. That sounds great, Badri. And yeah. I and I also uh, have this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, Badri, say that again. Yeah. We also have the company called Quantum Leap Performance, which I, you know, I'm one of the founders for here also in Utah and also we have it in, uh, in India. So, and so it's, you know, that's been, yeah, running for the last five, six years. So it's kind of, uh, again, physical and mental conditioning in one roof, we call it. And uh, yeah, there are a million ways to reach me. All right. I hope you really enjoyed my interview with Badri. Uh, and if you did enjoy this interview and if you like the Tennis Files podcast, I really would appreciate it if you could give the podcast a rating, uh, uh, whether that's on iTunes or the favorite podcast app of your choice that you use to listen to the show perhaps stitcher or google podcasts or uh, spotify or any other app we're on all those platforms and more Um, but i really appreciate that i do also want to leave you with a quote as i often like to do at the end of the show and this one is by robin sharma and robin said the bigger the dream the more important the team very important uh, philosophy there. You can't do everything yourself. You're going to need experts to help guide you along the way on uh, the several facets that you want to become uh, successful at in your particular field. Um, of course, for many of you, that's going to be tennis that you're aiming for because you're listening to this podcast, so that would make sense. Um, I also want to just let you know that any Links that are mentioned on the show today, uh, you can find at tennisfiles.com slash 99. And with that, I really appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. And believe it or not, we're somehow hitting 100 episodes next week. 
So really excited about that. And I've got a super mega awesome episode that I'll be putting together for you in celebration of 100 episodes. Uh, Really grateful to be able to come this far somehow, uh, especially still holding down a full-time job and still managing to produce all this content for you all. I really, really, really enjoy it. Otherwise, there's no way I would keep grinding to do this. Um, But in any case, I really appreciate all your support and emails and everything. And I look forward to hearing from you. And feel free to email me at mirban at tennisfiles.com. That's M-E-H-R-B-A-N at T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S dot com. And with that, have a wonderful week and keep trying to improve your tennis game uh, every day that you can, even by 1%. uh, That's going to add up quickly. So keep focused on what you need to do to improve and get the most return on investment, aka ROI, that you can in your game. So pick something really important and improve it. All right, that's it for this week, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.